part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our new Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, June 8th, and we're broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley here in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, no guests. We're just going to be talking about June labor history. Uh, So we'll discuss this month in working class history, some important dates and anniversaries. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. We have some really interesting events we'll be talking about today. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcast, and portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. We definitely encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm, which we've expanded to feature published articles, including news and commentary relevant to working people, uh, as well as write-ups for our clips. Uh, So I know not everybody is into long-form video and, uh, you know, audio content. Sometimes you just would rather read a quick article about something, and we're working to expand that as well. Uh, And while you're there, you can check out our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. We do have, uh, you know, a few shirts left. Some of our Good Things Unions shirt with the nice Alabama logo. Uh, That was a custom artwork design for this shirt. And I really, really like the new shirt, so check it out. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We keep all of our content free because we try to reach as many folks as possible. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show. Uh, We're still looking for sponsors for Overtime and Shop Talk. Really appreciative of Labor Notes for coming on as our very first Shop Talk sponsor. Uh, But we do still need a couple more if we want to sustain the series for the long haul. So beyond unions and allied organizations, we're also interested in other media outlets union print shops and vendors, publishers. Uh, If you have a local organization, you know, a local DSA chapter, a local, uh, you know, uh, Jobs with Justice chapter, whatever the situation may be, if you have any sort of organization you belong to or a business you're affiliated with that might be interested in reaching an audience of union, union activists and allies here in the South, definitely hit us up. 
So if you have ideas for sponsors or if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know. But as much as we appreciate these sponsors, our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm slash donate. Uh, we also have a Patreon if you'd like to donate that way. Or you can uh, send us a check to our P.O. box here in Huntsville. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we really appreciate your support, and we can't do it without you. We put out all of this content for free because we're dedicated to growing the Southern labor movement. If you share this mission, please support however you can so we can have media by, for, and of the working class. And at the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exists as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters. We encourage all of our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. Uh, and at the end of the episode, I'm going to share some really cool training events that Labor Notes has scheduled for this month. So as I mentioned today, no guests. Uh, we've had a lot of guests lately, and um, we also have been focusing on labor history the last couple of weeks. And today's no different. It's also a labor history episode. Uh, I can tell you that the next couple of weeks, we will shift back into more training topics. Uh, so I know we've been heavy on the history lately. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the June anniversaries last week because I had Chris Townsend on the show. And he got a chance to talk about some of the really cool work he's doing getting some books back into print. So if you missed that, definitely check out uh, last week's Shop Talk with Chris Townsend. He's a longtime organizer, and he is doing great work recovering labor's hidden histories. But today, it's time to share some of the June anniversaries in labor history and our long fight for justice. And I want to make sure I share some of the sources that I use for this information. Uh, the first one would be the 2022-23 edition of Planning to Change the World, a planned book for social justice educators. This excellent planner is published by the Education for Liberation Network, and I want to make sure I give them full credit. Shout out as well to the Zen Education Project, which is another great source. Uh, we actually spoke to someone from the Zen Education Project this past Saturday on the Valley Labor Report, and we'll have another guest from Zen Education Project this Saturday, Jesse Hagopian. Uh, so really looking forward to that conversation this Saturday. If you missed last Saturday's episode, check that out. Zen Education Project is doing a lot of great work, and uh, I really encourage you to check out their This Day in History they have a section on their website for this day in history. They also have hashtag TDIH post on social media 
Uh, it's just a great way to to brush up on your history and learn some new things. I always learn new things every month. And the Labor Tribune of St. Louis in Southern Illinois was also a really helpful source this month. You can check them out at labortribune.com. So I won't pretend that this is an exhaustive list of working class history anniversaries in June, but we're going to mention quite a few important and interesting events, especially in the history of the South, our labor movement, and our working class. So let's get started. June 1st is, of course, the first day of Pride Month. Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Month commemorates the 1969 Stonewall Riots, where gay rights activists clashed with New York City police over discrimination and police brutality. It also aims to raise awareness about issues surrounding the civil rights of LGBTQ Americans. And to everyone listening, let me just say, you don't have to be an expert on all things gender or sexuality to know that every human being deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. You know, there's plenty I don't know. But what I do know is people should be able to live their lives, that we should be kind to one another, and that an injury to one is an injury to all. So happy Pride Month to everyone. And may we build a future free from discrimination and bigoted violence, a future where all human beings can be themselves and reach their potential to live happy, secure lives. June 1st is also the first day of Caribbean American Heritage Month, which is intended as a period to celebrate the history, traditions, and culture of Caribbean Americans and to honor their contributions to American society. June 1st is the 40th anniversary of the GAO report on siting of hazardous waste landfills. Following a 1982 Warren County, North Carolina sit-in, the U.S. General Accountability Office, or GAO, issued the report, quote, citing of hazardous waste landfills and their correlation with racial and economic status of surrounding communities. The report revealed that three out of four hazardous waste landfills were located in communities where people of color and those with incomes below the poverty line comprised at least 26% of the population. This government report provided empirical support for claims of environmental racism. Both governments and corporations have for far too long been allowed to pollute the neighborhoods of poor working folks, especially poor black folks and other racial minorities. Toxic pollution impacts workers on the job and workers in their own homes and communities, which is why I believe the labor movement and the environmental justice movements must work together for our common benefit. June 1st is the 90th anniversary of the El Monte's Berry Strike. The historic labor struggle involved the Cannery and Agricultural Workers International Union, the CAWIU, local Mexican workers, Japanese growers, white elected officials with a vested economic interest, and the Mexican consular office that provided the fuel that ignited subsequent labor strikes throughout California. A strike was called over low wages and poor working conditions. It was one of the largest organized labor strikes to date in the Southern, Ag Southern California agricultural industry. It took a few weeks to gain traction, but eventually more than 7,000 workers joined the strike. The workers did win a small wage increase, even though white government officials threatened workers with deportation and withholding of welfare benefits. 
June 2nd was the 160th anniversary of the Combahee Ferry Raid. Through her work on the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman became an expert at clandestine operations. During the Civil War, she's believed to be the first woman to lead an armed military operation in the conflict when she guided three gunboats in a raid against Confederate forces in South Carolina. More than 700 slaves were rescued and millions of dollars worth of Confederate supplies were destroyed. In case you needed another reminder that Harriet, Harriet Tubman uh, was quite the badass. June 2nd, 1786. 26 journeyman printers in Philadelphia staged the trade's first strike in America over wages. It was a cut in their $6 weekly pay. Also, June 2nd, in 1924, a constitutional amendment declaring that, quote, Congress shall have power to limit, regulate, and prohibit the labor of persons under 18 years of age was approved by the Senate today, following the lead of the House of Representatives five weeks earlier. But only 28 state legislatures ever ratified the amendment, the last three in 1937, so it has never taken effect. 1952, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that President Harry Truman acted illegally when he ordered the Army to seize the nation's steel mills to avert a strike. So uh, just another reminder of how often we've had presidents intervene in labor issues typically not on the side of the workers. June 4th is the UN Day of Innocent Children Victims of Aggression. Appalled by the large number of innocent Palestinian and Lebanese children who were victims of Israel's acts of aggression, in 1982, the United Nations General Assembly designated June 4th of each year as the International Day of Innocent Children Victims of Aggression. It reminds people that there are many children throughout the world who suffer from war and abuse, that there's an urgent need to protect the rights and safety of children. On June 3rd, in 1900, the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union was founded. In June, on June 4th, back in 1912, Massachusetts became the first state to establish a minimum wage. Also on June 4th, 1947, the House of Representatives approved the Taft-Hartley Act. The legislation allowed the President of the United States to intervene in labor disputes, among other setbacks for unions. The law weakened unions and let states exempt themselves from union requirements. Twenty states immediately enacted open shop laws, and more followed. President Truman did veto the law, but he was overridden by Congress. And unfortunately, we are still living with the Taft-Hartley Act today. Also on June 4th, but in 1975, Governor Jerry Brown signed the California Agricultural Labor Relations Act, the first law in the U.S. giving farm workers collective bargaining rights. This legislation came after years of effort by the United Farm Workers Union. June 5th, 1976, 35 members of the Teamsters, concerned about the infiltration of organized crime in the union and other issues, met in Cleveland to form Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Of course, Teamsters for a Democratic Union is still very active, uh, and in fact, they have been even more active in the, in the past few years and uh, have been very successful in their efforts for a reform inside the Teamsters. June 6, 1937, 
A general strike by some 12,000 auto workers and others in Lansing, Michigan, shut down the city for a month in what was to become known as the city's labor holiday. On June 6, 1948, U.S. President Harry S. Truman and American Federation of Musicians President James Petrillo performed a piano duet at the Union's Convention in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, can't say that's the most significant event of the month by any means, but I just found it interesting, uh, the idea of a sitting president playing a piano duet with the president of the Musicians' Union. Cool. Uh, also on June 6, 1996, was the founding convention in Cleveland, Ohio, of the U.S. Labor Party. And if you want to know more about the U.S. Labor Party and that effort in the 90s, as well as the way it spread into South Carolina, uh, definitely go back and check out our interview with Mark Dudzik. Uh, we spoke to Mark Dudzik uh, some months back, and he was one of the founders of the Labor Party, talked about some of the lessons we could learn from that experiment. Uh, and just this past weekend, we also spoke with Adolph Reed Jr., who was very instrumental in the founding of the Labor Party as well. So on June 7, 1929, striking textile workers battled police in Gastonia, North Carolina. Police Chief O.F. Adderholt was accidentally killed by one of his own officers. Six strike leaders were convicted of conspiracy to murder and were sentenced to jail for 5 to 20 years. Also on June 7th, but in 1979, the founding convention of the United Food and Commercial Workers, UFCW, the merger brought together the Retail Clerks International Union and the Amalgamated Meat Cutters and Butcher Workmen of North America. On June 8th, 1852, was the earliest recorded strike by Chinese immigrants to the U.S., that occurred when stonemasons who were brought to San Francisco to build a three-story Parrot granite building made from Chinese prefabricated blocks went on strike for higher pay. Also on June 8th in 1904, there was a battle between the militia and striking miners at Dunville, Colorado, which ended with six union members dead and 15 taken prisoner. 79 of the strikers were deported to Kansas two days later. June 8, 1917, was the Spectator mine disaster that killed 168 folks in Butte, Montana. Also, June 8, but in 1966, some 35,000 members of the Machinist Union began what would become a 43-day strike, the largest in airline history, against five carriers. The mechanics and other ground service workers wanted to share in the airline's substantial profits. And finally, on June 8, in 1971, New York City drawbridge tenders and a dispute with the state over pension issues left a dozen bridges open, snarling traffic in what the New York Daily News described as the biggest traffic snafu in the city's history. Just a reminder of the power workers have. June 10th is the 60th anniversary of the Equal Pay Act. The federal law amended the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938 with the aim of abolishing wage disparity based on gender. The law prohibits employers from discriminating on the basis of sex by paying wages at a lower rate than that paid to employees of another sex for a similar job. Most employees across both the public and private sectors are covered. Gender pay equity is still an issue, 
and by organizing strong unions, we can finally make equal pay a reality. June 10th is also the 50th anniversary of the New York City Gravedigger Strike, a strike that began in April at three cemeteries expanded to include workers at 44 more cemeteries in the greater New York City area, demanding wage increases and employer-funded pensions. During the strike, some bodies, including those people in certain religious groups that require speedy burials, were buried by relatives and volunteers. However, when the strike ended on July 6th, at least 1,400 bodies remained unburied. On June 10th in 1937, the mayor of Monroe, Michigan, organized a vigilante mob of 1,400 armed with baseball bats and tear gas to break the organizing picket line of 200 striking workers at Newton Steel. The line was broken, eight were injured and hospitalized. June 11th is the 60th anniversary of the University of Alabama standoff. Diehard segregationist Governor George Wallace attempted to block two black students, Vivian Malone and James A. Hood, from registering at the University of Alabama. Governor Wallace stood in the doorway until the National Guard was sent to campus by President John F. Kennedy to escort the students into the building. Wallace had pivoted towards segregationist politics in order to get elected. He would later pivot again, this time away from racist politics, and continued to serve as governor even in the post-Jim Crow era. On June 11, 1913, police shot at maritime workers striking the United Fruit Company in New Orleans, killing one and t- wounding two. Also on June 11, 1969, John L. Lewis died. He was a uh, legendary figure, president of the United Mine Workers from 1920 to 1960, and a driving force behind the formation of the CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organizations. June 11th is also my birthday, for what it's worth. Uh, so if anyone wants to throw in a little extra donation to the Valley Labor Report this month in honor of my birthday, I sure would appreciate it. June 12th is the World Day Against Child Labor, intended to raise awareness and promote activism to prevent the exploitation of child labor. We've seen companies like Hyundai caught using child labor in their Alabama supply chain. We've seen meat processing plants across the country caught employing young migrant children in dangerous conditions. We're seeing states like Iowa and Arkansas loosen up child labor laws. In the American labor movement, we may have thought we won the battle to end child labor a century ago, but clearly the fight continues. June 12th is the 60th anniversary of the assassination of Medgar Evers. Evers was an African-American civil rights activist who fought to end segregation in his home state of Mississippi, organizing boycotts against segregated facilities. He became active in the civil rights movement after returning home from overseas service in World War II, and he eventually led the NAACP in Mississippi. Evers was fatally shot by the KKK in front of his home. However, his legacy continues to live on. Also on June 12th, this time in 1937, Oliver Law became commander of the uh, Abraham Lincoln Brigade. They were part of the International Brigades, an all-volunteer fighting force that went to Spain to fight 
uh, for the Spanish Republic against the fascist forces seeking to overthrow the government. Oliver Law was a black man who actually became the first black man to lead an integrated fighting force of Americans. Uh, so really, uh, I love that history. Uh, the Spanish Civil War and the International Brigades is a particular you know, interest of mine. And if you are interested in them, you can definitely check out a, one of our previous episodes of Shop Talk, where I did a deep dive on America's involvement in that conflict, including a little bit more uh, discussion of Oliver Law. On June 14th, 1872, unions were legalized in Canada. June 15th is the 210th anniversary of the Venezuela independence movement led by Simón Bolívar. Bolívar issued his proclamation addressed to the people of South America, vowing to fight to the death to rid the continent of the Spanish imperialists. He called for all Americans to unite and even offered clemency to Spaniards who laid down their arms and opposed Spain. Bolívar hoped to unite all South American countries into one nation, Although that didn't happen, his leadership helped establish Colombia, Panama, Peru, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Venezuela. On June 15, 1908, the Metal Trades Department of what is now the AFL-CIO was founded. Also on June 15, 1947, the Congress of Industrial Organizations, the CIO, expelled the Fur and Leather Workers Union and the American Communications Association, for what it described as communist activities. Another ugly reminder of the ways in which the Red Scare has impacted our labor movement, and unfortunately it came not just from government forces, but even from forces within the movement itself. Also on June 15th in 1990, the Battle of Century City, as police in Los Angeles attacked some 500 janitors and their supporters during a peaceful Service Employees International Union d demonstration against cleaning contractor ISS. The event generated such public outrage that resulted in recognition of the workers' union and spurred creation of an annual June 15th Justice for Janitors Day. June 16th is the 90th anniversary of the National Industry Recovery Act. The National Industrial Recovery Act was intended to dig the U.S. economy out of the Great Depression. It called for an alliance of industries which would operate under codes of fair competition, fixing prices and wages which would be subject to public hearings. It also required protections for consumers, competitors, and employers. Employees were recognized to have the right to organize and bargain collectively and could not be penalized for joining or not joining a union. So the, law, the uh, National Industry Recovery Act did become law on June 16, 1933, but was later declared unconstitutional. So it was you know, a big deal. It established the right to unionize. It set maximum hours and minimum wages for every major industry, abolished sweatshops and child labor. The Wagner Act, which would later be approved about two years later, uh, would formalize that unionization legalization. On June 16, 1918, railroad union leader and socialist Eugene V. Debs spoke in Canton, Ohio on the relationship between capitalism and war. Ten days later, he was arrested under the Espionage Act and eventually sentenced to ten years in prison. 
June 17th is the 150th anniversary of Susan B. Anthony versus the United States of America. Anthony was arrested for voting in the state of New York in the 1872 election. She was tried and convicted for voting illegally because she was a woman and fined $100. She refused to pay because she wasn't allowed to give testimony, and the judge made his ruling without giving the jury a chance to deliberate. Publicity from the trial, such as it was, gave Anthony a stronger platform for the cause of women's suffrage. Also on June 17th, back in 1903, Mary Harris, Mother Jones, led a rally in Philadelphia to focus public attention on children mutilated in the state's textile mills. Three weeks later, the 73-year-old led a march to New York City to plead with then-President Theodore Roosevelt to help improve conditions for the children. June 17, 1936, 12 trade unionists met in Pittsburgh to launch a drive to organize all steelworkers. It was the birth of the United Steelworkers of America, then called the Steelworkers Organizing Committee. By the end of the year, 125,000 workers joined the union in support of its $5 a day wage demand. June 18th is Father's Day, the annual holiday that honors fathers and father figures and celebrates their contributions to the lives of their children and to society. So shout out to my dad and to all the dads out there. I am a father myself, and it is a great honor and privilege and challenge and uh, labor of love, that's for sure. So shout out to all the dads. I hope you have a wonderful Father's Day on June 18th. June 18th is also the 40th anniversary of Sally Ride's space launch. Sally Ride became the first American woman astronaut in space. She was part of the NASA class of 1978, which included the first six women to be chosen to be part of the astronaut program. Ride was an accomplished, an accomplished physicist and contributed much to the NASA space program, though at the time many considered her a novelty. Fully half of the most recent astronaut class are women, including women of color. June 19th is, of course, Juneteenth. It's the oldest known celebration of the end of slavery in the U.S. Juneteenth commemorates June 19, 1865, when Union General Gordon Granger and 2,000 federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, to take control of the state and enforce the emancipation of its enslaved people, more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect. Also on June 19th, back in 1912, the eight-hour workday was adopted for federal employees. June 19, 1937, the Women's Day Massacre occurred in Youngstown, Ohio, when police used tear gas on women and children, including at least one infant in his mother's arms during a strike at Republic Steel. Also June 19, 1953, the International Longshoremen's Union, ILWU, began a four-day general strike in sh Sugar, Pineapple, and Longshore, to protest convictions under the anti-communist Smith Act of seven activists known as the Hawaii Seven. The convictions were later overturned by a federal appeals court. June 20th is World Refugee Day. For many years, several African countries celebrated June 20th as Refugee Day. In 2000, as an expression of solidarity with Africa, which hosts the most refugees, the UN declared June 20th its World Refugee Day good time to reflect on how we can do better 
by all the refugees, whether they are climate refugees, poverty refugees, war refugees, too many folks on this planet are having to flee their homes just to survive. And I think we all have a responsibility to do the best we can to take care of our neighbors. June 20th is also the 130th anniversary of the American Railway Union. The American Railway Union, one of the largest labor unions at the time, was founded during the economic crisis of 1893. It was led by Eugene V. Debs, who sought to unite all railway workers. It was an unusual but popular move to form a single union representing all crafts of railroad employees. Within a year, the ARU had 125 locals as thousands rushed to join. In the Pullman strike a year after its founding, the Union was defeated by federal injunctions and troops. Debs was imprisoned for violating the injunctions, and more than two dozen strikers were killed. June 20th is the 80th anniversary of the Detroit Uprising. Striking African-American auto workers were attacked by the KKK, National Workers League, and armed white workers at Belle Isle Amusement Park in Detroit. Two days of riots followed, with 34 people killed and more than 1,300 arrested. Thousands of black Americans had migrated to Detroit for manufacturing jobs. The jobs were plentiful, but thanks to racist redlining, housing was scarce, and tensions ran high between black and white residents. On June 20, 1943, unsubstantiated rumors led to rampages. 17 of the 25 black fatalities were attributed to the police while none of the nine white deaths were at the hands of the police. On June 21, 1877, ten miners accused of being militant Molly Maguires were hanged in Pennsylvania. A private corporation initiated the investigation of the ten through a private detective agency. A private police force arrested them, and private attorneys for the coal companies prosecuted them. The state provided only the courtroom and the gallows, a judge said many years later. June 23rd is the 120th anniversary of the murder of George White. Accused of sexual assault by a white woman, George White, who adamantly denied any involvement in the attack, never got to stand trial because he was burned to death by a mob of more than 4,000 white people in Wilmington, Delaware. Though thousands of known residents were complicit in the lynching, no one was ever held responsible, as was the case in most of the 4,400 lynchings that took place between 1877 and 1950. June 24th is the 50th anniversary of the Upstairs Lounge Massacre. One of the largest LGBTQ massacres in history took place on this date in New Orleans, Louisiana. Members of the Gay Church Metropolitan Community were gathered at the Upstairs Lounge on the last day of Pride Weekend. An attacker started a fire in the building and covered the stairs with lighter fluid. Thirty-two people died in this massacre. June 25th is the 10th anniversary of Shelby County v. Holder. Shelby v. Holder is known as the Supreme Court's blatant attack on the 1965 voting rights law. The issue in question was Section 5, which required counties to get pre-clearance from the Justice Department before making any changes to voting laws. Alabama sued the U.S. Attorney General Holder, and the court unfortunately agreed. 
The result has been draconian changes in some jurisdictions, making it more difficult for poor and minority citizens to exercise their right to vote. A lot more happened on June 25th. Uh, June 25th, 1893, more than 8,000 people attended the dedication ceremony for the Haymarket Martyrs Monument in Chicago, honoring those framed and executed for the bombing at Haymarket Square on May 4th, 1886 that we spoke about last month. June 25th, 1938, the Fair Labor Standards Act passed Congress, banning child labor and establishing the 40-hour work week. June 25, 1941, at the urging of black labor and civil rights leader A. Philip Randolph, President Roosevelt issued an executive order barring discrimination in defense industries. And finally, on June 25, in 1994, Decatur, Illinois, police pepper-gassed workers at the A.E. Staley plant, at the gate of the A.E. Staley plant, one year into the company's two-and-a-half-year lockout of paper workers' local 7837. June 26 is the International Day in Support of Victims of Torture. The United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution in 1997 to proclaim June 26 the UN, UN International Day in Support of Victims of Torture. Torture is a crime under international law, yet thousands of people are tortured every year throughout the world. This is a sad reminder that Guantanamo Bay is still open and active, and U.S. government officials involved in torture have yet to face any real consequences. June 27th is National HIV Testing Day, an annual campaign encouraging people to take the test, take control. June 27th, 1905, the Industrial Workers of the World, the Wobblies, were founded at a 12-day-long convention in Chicago. And of course, the Wobbly motto is, an injury to one is an injury to all. <clears throat> 1935, Congress passed the National Labor Relations Act on June 27th, creating the structure for collective bargaining in the United States. Also on June 27th, in 1954, Elected Guatemalan leader was overthrown in a CIA-backed coup. And of course, this is just one of many CIA-backed coups, both in the continent and across the global south, the consequences of which we still deal with today. June 28, 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed legislation officially declaring Labor Day an official U.S. holiday. On June 29, 1934, an executive order signed by President Franklin D. Roosevelt established the National Labor Relations Board. A predecessor organization, the National Labor Board, had been established by the Depression-era National Industrial Recovery Act in 1933, but as I mentioned earlier, that law had been struck down by the Supreme Court. On June 29, 1987, the newly formed Jobs with Justice stages its first big support action, backing 3,000 picketing Eastern Airlines mechanics at Miami Airport. And June 30th is the 10th anniversary of the Zhangji Pile factory executive kidnapping. And this was one I, I had missed 10 years ago, apparently. Very interesting. In an unusual move, more than 200 workers at a factory in the Guangdong province over in China, 
surrounded the company offices and trapped executives inside. The executives tried several tactics to escape but were unsuccessful. The workers' demands for unpaid wages and protection from layoffs were met four days later as the executives finally gave in. Talk about a form of direct action. Wow. In June 30th, 1928, Alabama outlawed the leasing of convicts to mine coal, a practice that had been in place since 1848. In 1898, 73% of the state's total revenue came from this source. A quarter of all black leased convicts died on the job. June 30th, 1998, up to 40,000 New York construction workers demonstrated in Midtown Manhattan, protesting the Metropolitan Transportation Authority's awarding of a $33 million contract to a non-union company. 18 police and three demonstrators were injured. And finally, on June 30th, 2013, 19 firefighters died when they were overtaken by a wildfire that they were battling, they were battling in a forest northwest of Phoenix, Arizona. It was the deadliest wildfire involving firefighters in the U.S. in at least 30 years. And it's, I think, fitting that we end there today because of the massive wildfires that are taking place right now as I speak. Uh, so sending our love and support to all the firefighter brothers and sisters out there uh, trying to keep us safe. So as I wrap things up this morning, I do want to mention some excellent upcoming training opportunities from Labor Notes. Their stewards workshop this month is on grievance handling the worst practices. So this event will be June 20th. Registration is limited, and the workshop is for, especially for officers and stewards, as well as members that are thinking about becoming a steward in their union. The workshop is Tuesday, June 20th, 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. It's online, it's held through Zoom. Uh, and the workshop will be led by veteran unionist and labor educator Richard DeVry from Teamsters Local 705. We can learn a lot from our mistakes and those of others. And this workshop will follow a grievance from beginning to end and ask what went right, what went wrong. We will cover the investigation, the initial hearing, and more. So registration is only 10 bucks, but no one will be turned away for lack of funds. If you've got any questions or issues, you can contact Sarah at labornotes.org. Also, uh, this month, they will be reoffering their workshop on what to do when your union breaks your heart. This one, actually, never mind, that one just took place on June 6th. Uh, so if you missed that one this week, no worries. They almost certainly will bring it back next month. It's been very popular. And the plan is to speak to uh, Ellen David Friedman, who, who actually runs that workshop. The plan is to speak with her later this month on Shop Talk. And finally, they do have their Secrets of a Successful Organizer workshop series. The very first one was last night on June 7th, but uh, the upcoming series offerings will be 14th and the 21st. Uh, really, they encourage you to attend all three workshops, but I'm sure if you missed this one last night, maybe you could still get in. The cost is only 15 bucks for the whole series. Um, last night was on beating apathy. Next week will be assembling your dream team. And finally, on the 21st, we'll be turning an issue into a campaign. So 
That's all I have, folks. Uh, just a reminder that we are on the air this Saturday on the Valley Labor Report, uh, 9.30 a.m. YouTube, Facebook, WVNN will be live. Uh, we will be interviewing presidential candidate Marianne Williamson. And in overtime, we'll have a conversation with Jesse Hagopian, uh, big time, one of the you know, leading teacher activists in the entire country. And we'll also talk with David Van Dusen, militant brother up in Vermont. He is the president of the Vermont Labor Federation. So you don't want to miss Saturday's episode of the Valley Labor Report. But as for today, this is it for the 14th episode of Shop Talk. Hope it was worth your time, and I appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed it, please share with your network and make sure that you stay plugged into our work at tvlr.fm. Sign up for our email list. Don't forget to like, review, share, and subscribe. And finally, if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the workers. Solidarity, y'all.